Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi there, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest is Rachel Bloom, who you'll probably know from not only Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but countless TikTok memes that have been made in her honor. She's a wonderful comedian, actor, writer, producer, and all around just delightful person to talk to. Um, We also introduce a new section this episode, a new segment even, called Questions My Husband Would Ask You. So um, sink your teeth in, buckle up, whatever I usually say, get ready for some new hijinks. Forever. everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by actress, comedian, writer, singer-songwriter, and producer, Rachel Bloom. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm so good now that I'm talking to you. I was oh. so ex- I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. The feeling is mutual. We were gushing about each other a little bit before we began recording, but I have to assume that you're a drag race fan as a as a two-time judge. And <laughs> I just they've only had me once. Oh, only one. No, anyway. no, you know what? I was on two episodes because two it was episodes. the it was the finale. Of mm. of the season I judged, and so I was on there to wish the queens congratulations. But I hope to congratulations. But I hope to go back. Maybe again. I'm what a thrill. Maybe I'm like precognizant, and I'm I'm predicting a future uh, second judging. You manifest know. <laughs> it, manifest. You, you you should not give up until you've beaten Latoya Jackson's records for most time as a guest star. I don't think that's <laughs> ever going to happen to anyone. Yeah, the, there's three constants in life: uh, death, taxes, and Latoya Jackson on Drag Race. Yes. <laughs> um, you were also there um, for Jada's iconic look over there. In the political debate um, with Jeff Goldblum, what was it like to be on the ground floor of such an iconic moment? (laughs) Well, it was iconic because also that entire challenge was chaos for many reasons. (laughs) And so Jada saying, look over there, um, kind of summed up that couple hours in so many, in so many ways. And, And being there, it felt like really cathartic when she said that. One of those meta moments yes. where it's like, yeah, like the universe is cracking and we're and we're seeing into the fabric of creation. 
<laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it felt really iconic at the time. And everything she did that episode was so iconic. Her runway look was just unbelievable. And it's, it's, but it's very funny watching the entire season and then coming into that, uh, coming, you know, I hadn't seen the season, obviously coming into judge, you don't know any of the Queens. Mm -hmm. And so you're only judging that from, from that one episode. And then only in context of watching the season, do you understand the arc that kind of you somewhat helped play? Like I was the episode Mm -hmm. where Widow Mm -hmm. Von Du left. And so to me, it was like, oh, she's like a shyer queen, but not at (laughs) all. Like watching the rest of the season, I was like, oh, one episode is not an indicator at all of the type of queen someone is. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, we deal with, um, when filming Drag Race, we deal with a new judge every week who's learning us for the first time. And, um, you know, I felt like I had some hit and miss moments with some judges. Um, uh, (laughs) But no one in my entire season saw me as well as Juliette Lewis. She saw me, and in five seconds, she knew exactly who I was and exactly what I was doing. Kristen Johnson took some time to warm up to me, but now right. we're old pals. Uh, <laughs> are you are you friends with any of the girls from Drag Race from the season you judged or from the franchise overall? I well, I I have gotten very friendly with Jackie Cox, uh, and I'd she, love to get friendly with Jackie. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Well, believe me, because I saw her. I never saw her out of drag until uh-huh. the season started airing. I only knew her as drag queen. Then I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> Just we all benefited when she started being a spokesperson for Manscaped. I think yeah. we can agree. <laughs> It made the world a brighter place. Um, but Jackie's so, she's so fucking smart. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I talked to her and then I'm, I wasn't ever on a season, but I'm just, I'm generally friendly with Ms. Cracker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started on Instagram, uh, really talking a lot with Tia Coffee from UK. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I'm ramp. I'm really excited for DragCon to be back. And so I, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm reaching out to people being like, anyone who's coming to DragCon, let's have a pool party. <laughs> That's my that's my fantasy is just to like have a pool party. I I kind you know I kind of wonder if um, hazmat suits are going to be the like the trend alert for <laughs> DragCon. That could be like super cute. Like we could make it a moment. Uh. Hazmat suits, but like a an open ass. But make it fashion. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, so we've all you know we've already talked a, quite a bit about Drag Race, but you Rachel Bloom. Wow, what a career. <laughs> what a body of work um, uh, that's not even an innuendo. I'm sure um, most people listening right now will um, immediately know you from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which sounds like it was uh, a huge undertaking on your part. You played a lot of roles in that in that show. Um, writing, uh, starring in it. Did you also produce Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I did. So I, I co-created it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, yeah, it was hectic. Actually being on the drag race set reminded, <laughs> reminded <laughs> me of it because you, you drag race as everyone there is doing so many things at once, in, including Rue. Um, and that's what work for me for four years was like, you, you yeah. get in it sometimes I would get in my call time would be like, you know, six and I'd get in and while well, I was in the hair and makeup, 
chair, I'd be on my laptop, either looking at an outline that came in from the writer's room, or I'd be watching the newest cut of a music video. Cause I was the main editor. I was the main, not editor, but kind of, I would supervise the music, the music video edits specifically. Mm-hmm. And I scripted those songs and, and then I would go to set and in between like I would go to set and rehearse and then like in after I rehearsed for set while I was getting dressed, I would answer emails. It was just, it was absolutely non nonstop. And a, and a job I feel for someone uh, in their twenties without children, not, I don't think a job that I could sustain again. Yeah. Well, it's extremely impressive. And um, I can say, uh, you know, uh, when Bendela Creme and I, uh, created the the holiday special, the Jinx and De La Holiday special. It was I was very happy to be the co-creator, co-writer, and actor, co-star, and that was it. Because to also De La was also directing and producing, and I would just want you know like there was never a moment where she wasn't doing three things at once. And it sounds like. Uh, you know, it sounds like you had a similar experience on a much larger scale for four years um, yeah. on the on the CW. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Although a lot of people think it's a Netflix show, which I guess is uh, makes us seem classy uh, in, in a way, except that except that we had probably about a quarter of the budget we would have had <laughs> if we were a Netflix show. But, you know, I never directed on the show. Oh, so yeah. so was when you did your special, was Dela like always kind of looking, looking at looking at playback? Like, OK, stop. Let me see that. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of that. Um, uh, but, you know, that's you know, that's what I imagine is kind of like. It sounds like you had a full plate the entire time, but. Did you prefer it that way? Was it easier to trust that your vision was going to make it to the final product? Um, you know, being involved in so many aspects of the creation of the show. Definitely how I prefer it. What I would have preferred was to be able to write the show and then shoot the show and then edit the show. But because <laughs> we were a broadcast network show, we did it all at once. And it was really there was no other choice. I, I had to be involved in as many things as I was involved in. And in fact, wish I could have been involved more. I, I wish I could have been in the room more, especially in the middle of the season when stuff started to get really busy. Um, but it's, it's really, it's really hard. And I've only been, I've only recently uh, in the past year realized that a, an, a facet of my mental health is, is that I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And this is, this often goes, unrecognized and undiagnosed in women because it's very, very misunderstood and ADHD overlaps with anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. which I've already known for years I had. But I think that the job worked well with ADHD because you, you had to be able to think about many different things at one time, except I would get like overheated. It's like sometimes my brain felt like a computer. So I love being, I love doing a bunch of different things at once until it I actually take on too much and it gets, and and, and I have like a panic attack. Right. So it, it was how my brain works, but at a certain point it was just like computer error, computer error. Like it's it's just too much. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, uh, in my own experience with depression, anxiety, and OCD, um, I have 
found new ways to let people know when I'm at capacity, mm-hmm. you know, when it's like literally no more information can come in, no more requests can be made. The factor, the factory is shut right now. <laughs> I love that. We all need to let some exhaust fumes out before we can expect anything more from the spring, but you <laughs> The factory is shut down. I like that. <laughs> You've been um, very vocal in your work and in your public presence um, about your own mental health and um, the things that you experience in your life. Um, how has that been? And have you have you noticed a shift? I feel like I've noticed a bit of a shift in maybe the last five years. And then especially, I feel like a lot of things kind of, we started changing consciousness a lot more quickly during the pandemic because everyone was at home just looking at things on their phone and learning things because there was nothing else to do. What, what has that experience been like being so open and so vocal in your career? It's really cool because I think I started really talking about it. I mean, the only time I, it was one crazy ex-girlfriend is when we really started talking about it. And I think it was just as it was picking up with other people talking about kind of mental health in general. I do think we were one of the first, I think, pieces of media to talk about specifically borderline personality disorder, which Mm -hmm. personality disorders are actually quite common, but we don't have a sense of what they are. And I think it's really great now that mm-hmm. that there's a lot of awareness about mental health. I mean, I think a drawback, it's, it's all a good thing. I think that when stuff starts to become a little bit commodified on social media, when we start saying mm-hmm. wellness and mental health, the words only get you so far. So yeah. saying the words depression and anxiety, like when you're, when you're in them, it doesn't feel like I'm having anxiety. It feels like this nameless dark thing. Mm -hmm. So I, so I just hope that people recognize from they, they can go beneath the buzzwords to like Mm -hmm. understand, Oh no, no, I need treatment, but God, no, compared to, I don't remember the fact that TikTok is full of people talking about like mental health. That's, Mm -hmm. If I had had that when I was a teenager, no one was, I don't even think I'd heard the term, maybe I'd heard the term mental health, but we never talked about it in school. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, there was, there was nothing, there was nothing about mental self-care. And I think that there was this idea of, uh, that, that to get especially medicated for something meant, meant weakness or a yeah. fragility, or it meant you were flaky, right? Because mm-hmm. I bought into that for a long time. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, something you said going beneath the buzzwords, I think that's like this very interesting, you know, there's kind of this ebb and flow to making positive change in our culture and in our society, where I feel like sometimes we have to go to extreme ends of the spectrum to find what actually is gonna work in the long haul and which is what's going to take us forward. So I think for so long, we were at the end of the spectrum where you don't talk about that stuff, you don't, you know, you don't use it in as, as an excuse. If you if you have a mental health issue, you're weak. And there was like two states to be. You were either sane or you were crazy. Mm-hmm. So if you had anything that made you seem not sane, 
you're labeled as crazy. Today, I feel like it almost, you know, as as a as a participant in Instagram and social media at all, sometimes it feels like, oh, everyone has mental health <laughs> issues. We're all we're all depressed, anxious, we're all dealing with this stuff. And so then it kind of leads you to this question of does everyone ha- deal with this in their life? Or is this like kind of, is this something we're exploring as a society right now? And I've, I, I felt all kinds of ways about it in the last few years. And I was trying to think, is it that life has gotten harder for people so we deal with this more? Or is it that it was just so not talked about that these problems have always existed? This is just the first time we're like giving a name to it and and talking about it openly. I have to guess it's the latter, right? Because mm-hmm. I think about my own grandparents and um, stories I've gleaned about my grandmother mm-hmm. uh, suffering suffering from depression. You know, this is in the this is in the fifties, and then you think about I don't know just all of the crazy fucking shit people have done (laughs) over, over, (laughs) over, over time. And, and, uh, I, I, I think people have always had trauma, especially think about the the number of the the infant mortality rate, Mm -hmm. even a hundred years ago, Mm -hmm. but that's, is still high in, in many countries. Um, but, but it was like in my own family, my great grandmother, I think lost, she had six sons. And I, I think there were maybe two or three kids in there that died. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a part of life that you, if you had kids, you, chances are you lost at least one of them. That that's mm-hmm. trauma. That's, yeah. that is probably unprocessed trauma for generations and generations. And I think that we're evolving and just now realizing all of this, like all of this trauma that we're dealing with. And I, something always blew my mind when I was getting, when I had a baby and I was getting ready uh, to give birth, which is something I was always afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, I was cause mainly afraid of dying. Why? But is a bunch it of- <laughs> <laughs> I know I should shut the fuck up, um, <laughs> no, but I no. was, always, but I was, I was always, what I found interesting is I read somewhere and I'm going to butcher this cause I'm not a scientist at all. And I may have this wrong, but I remember reading somewhere mm-hmm. that when we went uh, to walk from walking on four legs to two legs, uh, our hips narrowed to mm-hmm. make it so that, you know, we could walk upright. But the thing that we still haven't figured out when I say figured out, I mean, I guess evolution is that <laughs> what that means for our hips narrowing is that human childbirth is an extremely painful and dangerous process more so than other animals. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, if we haven't even evolved into like human childbirth, getting its shit together, like we're still in the middle of this evolution of it not being deadly. Yeah. Of course we haven't processed our own mental health. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it almost sounds like evolution is misogynist, really. I mean, like evolution. Uh, that would make a great t-shirt. We could sell that <laughs> in a second. Evolution is misogynist. Oh, 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You mentioning your grandparents, um, I I know that like uh, my my grandfather fought in Vietnam, came back with a whole host of mental health issues and it just all got chalked up to Vietnam, you know, yeah. like, um, and so it wasn't really like when we talked about Papa's mental health, we weren't talking about his mental health. We were talking about war trauma, you know, and somehow we could understand the, like that trauma has an effect on you um, when it's something like war, but the reality is, is that like we deal with trauma every single day. And I remember reading some, some intellectual acting book. I can't remember what it was in acting school, but it stated that the act of being born is our first experience with trauma to be like pushed out of the ultimate safe space without a, a mm. moment's warning. And that, of course, we don't, rem you know, most people don't remember their own births, but the body remembers the traumatic experience of being oh. taken out of the ultimate safe space. Um, so anyone who thinks, oh, I've had no trauma in my life. I, I've been fine. I'm completely sane. Well, you have had trauma. You're probably just not dealing with it. Sure. <laughs> oh, like the, the idea of birth being the first and ultimate trauma is such an interesting <laughs> twist on the idea of original sin. Yeah. That like, no, 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 no. We're not, we didn't know all sin. We're just all real fucked up. <laughs> Cause we went from this like warm spa into someone slapping our ass. Um, I was reading, I was reading something about, about childcare that like we teaching our children resilience is actually the most important thing that because that life is going to be hard. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? And that it's almost arguably as important as giving our children a care and undying love is, is teaching them this, this resilience. Um, and having <laughs> given birth now and, and experienced that birth process. Yeah. I mean, it, I could see where that would be the worst thing. <laughs> I, I could see myself being a very pragmatic parent. Like uh, my plan has always been if I if I raise kids, I want to just talk to them like they're adults the whole time, um, because I have met some very well spoken, like five, six, seven year olds, like kids who like at seven year old know what edamame is. And know, <laughs> like, well, that also speaks to the fact that both of, <laughs> both of us live on the West Coast. I think Absolutely. I remember. I remember hearing because you're in Portland now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember I was at a local diner years ago and uh, some grandparents were taking their grandson out to lunch and clearly lived in the area. You know, this is super hipster LA. And I just mm -hmm. heard one of the grandparents go, no, Connor, this place doesn't have sushi. <laughs> I think 
I think I almost dropped my my shopping basket once in a grocery market because a kid said, like a six-year-old child looked up to his mother at the Whole Foods and said, could we get the bread with the Kalamala autos in it for our paninis? <laughs> and I was like, how do you even know how to say the word Kalamata? I was still eating Easy Mac at your age. <laughs> like, um, oh. So... <laughs> So in this discussion about being um, vocal and open and, and sharing your stories with your own mental health journey, um, and then the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, you know, talking about that throughout the show and putting so many of those conversations at the forefront of the, the show, um, I have to imagine there's been backlash. Have you ever had moments where, like, is... is was this the right route to take to be so open in my art? <laughs> you know, surprisingly, people have been pretty good about it. I mean, if mm-hmm. anything, it's been front lash. <laughs> it's been it's been all wonderful. It's been I, I back when I was doing live shows before the world shut down. People were bringing their Prozac bottles for me to sign. <laughs> like it was really, really, it was really cool. I mean, the only the only backlash, it wasn't really backlash, but there were some people before Rebecca was on medication asking, why is she not on medication? And it was actually Uh a point that factored into a season four, uh, a season four arc. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I mean, I would say there was, there was way more backlash over one of our characters had an abortion Mm. in, in the second season. And there was way more backlash over that. I mean, I, I don't think anybody is arguing that mental, I don't think anybody's arguing anymore that mental health is a thing mm-hmm. because, um, you know, even let's say the right, the conservative mm-hmm. right uses mental health as like the reason for school shootings, right? They'll say, mm-hmm. well, it's mental health. So, so mental health is now a, is now a ubiquitous term. So we didn't get a lot of backlash, but you know what? I don't read Reddit. So who knows? <laughs> we might have, and I just might be ignorant of it. I can't remember who said it, but someone said Reddit isn't for the artists. It's for the fan base. Um, A hundred percent. There's a term, what other people say about you is none of your business. mm -hmm. And it's, that's how I feel about, about Reddit. I I read the Onion AV Club constantly and I'll Mm -hmm. read the comments on other people's things because I love the comments. I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't, if I read it about my own shit, I crumble. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I think um, uh, we've we've talked a lot about in celebrity culture, especially, I think, in the rise of reality TV and, you know, myself, I can attest to this, like, the ov- the experience of overnight going from obscurity to notoriety overnight, nothing can prepare you for it. And so everyone's always constantly saying, don't read the comments. And then... You know, you but you do have to learn it on your own. <laughs> you know, you yes. do. I um I used to be very bad at not reading the comments. I'd say I'm about medium good at it now. But every once in a while, you see that one comment, and you're like, "What would possess a person one to think this way, and then b to feel necessary to 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 take it out into the world and and shout it into the void?" <laughs> But it's a hurt, and it's and what you realize it's a hurt people hurt people thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not to be trite, but like it. I was talking to my writing partner Aline um, is not nearly as sensitive as I am. Like, um, and we were talking about bad internet comments, and she's like, "Well, if you read an if you read an internet comment about yourself, 
she's like, don't you just know, but you know, deep down, like that person is probably has a sad life or, or who knows that person's an idiot. Can't you just Mm -hmm. think that person's an idiot? And I'm like, there's just something different. If that person came up to you in real life and Mm -hmm. you could see them in all their context, someone saying something like that to your face, yes, it would be hurtful. But I think when it's written down online, what you can do is that person can become anyone in your mind. Absolutely. That person, that person can be the bully you always wanted to impress in seventh grade. Like I, I think the mystery of that person who says they're not right. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see them in front of me. I don't know anything about their life. All I'm doing is reading a disembodied comment. And sometimes it feels like almost the part of me that worries these things about myself is the one secretly writing that comment. Absolutely. I would, I was going to say one of the things I had to train myself with, um, and my therapist actually compared going for the, through the comments as a form of self-harm, Yeah, you know, um, finding a way, like when I'm just depressed because I'm just depressed that day, that's when I'm most susceptible to going to the comments and finding something that's going to upset me. So now I have a, something to assign the depression to, Mm. you know, if I was just woke up feeling glum that day and maybe that's all it is. I just woke up feeling not my best that day. But then if I have a comment that really sets me off, I'm like, this is why this, you know, even though it happened after the fact, you know, so, So I think sometimes the comments that stick out to us and affect us is it's almost like our inner critic has already said that to us at one point. And then we find the one comment that justifies and gives gives validation to that thought that we should otherwise be putting out of our mind and, and, and not giving so much weight and energy to. That's it's such a good point, because if you read a comment about yourself, that's like, they have too many toes. It's like, well, that's not <laughs> true. I don't, I definitely don't have too many toes. I have the correct amount of toes. And you've never mm. thought that about yourself. It's reading the things of like fucking hack talent, you know, talentless, <laughs> not pretty. Like all the things that you've thought about yourself. Yeah. Stings infinitely more. Well, mm. We've talked a lot about heavy stuff, but the show is also wildly entertaining. And, um, you know, you you already mentioned, um, but you scripted all the songs on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And the songs, you know, I, I can't. I can't tell you the number of the times someone sent me just one of the songs from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and said, do you do this in your show yet? <laughs> like, well, that makes me so happy. Oh, the material in that show is so ripe for drag queens um, to be lip syncing to. It is. To... And I love every time I'm sent a drag performance of, of one of the songs. It makes me very happy. I, yeah, I, I know that it's um, the thing I connect to the most as a musical theater kid myself. And, you know, looking through my notes on uh, on you, I think it's safe to assume you're a bit of a, a theater kid yourself. <laughs> yes, I think that would be a safe assumption. <laughs> did you, um, was it Tish? You attended Tish? I did. I did. Yeah. Yes. What's that acronym for again? The Institute of Science and Music. I can't remember. It's not, you know, it's interesting. It seems like Tish would be an acronym. It's just a Persian. Per- Persian. <laughs> it's just a Persian. It's the Tish family. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just the Tish, the Tish School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. Which it's funny because I know NYU is seen as this prestigious thing, but like I, there are so many people who go there. 
So like half of Los Angeles has gone to NYU in in my experience. Mm -hmm. But yes, half of Los Angeles Angeles has gone to NYU. And you can quote me on that. (laughs) I have a personal question. Um, One Mm. of my favorite songs from Crazy Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is um, Remember That We Suffered. Is that the title of the song? One of my very favorite songs. And of course, it features Patti Lapone, (laughs) who is a goddess that I worship. Um, so what can you tell me about Miss Lapone? I may have already heard some legendary stories, um, having worked in some of the same venues of her and all these stories that get told to me as like, can you believe Patty Lapone? What a diva. She, she requested this thing on stage and then she didn't even use it. And I'm like, no, that was, that was boss energy. That was, that's, <laughs> uh, I think Feminine people get labeled as a diva um, to degrade them when what they're actually being is a fucking captain of the industry. (laughs) Well, I I think that is interesting is is the double. So first of all, my experience with Patty, she was the most grounded, down to earth, easygoing person, guests, especially guest star I I had ever worked with. She was just Mm -hmm. so down. We shot the show shot. We had our own kind of studio complex in North Hollywood. And it was, and it's this studio that used to be an ice cream factory. So the, the sound stages weren't even properly insulated (laughs) when there was a lot of wind, it would shake the whole thing. There was still a freezer that was just (laughs) chugging all day long. (laughs) Basically there basically was. And it, and it, uh, there was, of, of our room that uh, the room that became our dance studio, there was a permanent, what looked like a blood stain on the ceiling that <laughs> no one could ever get off. Um, uh, I think, I think at one point Donalyn uh, Champlin who played Paula, who uh, at various points in her life dabbled with uh, ghost hunting and stuff was like something very bad happened in this room. And that was our choreography room. Um <laughs> Patty, I remember, was like, while we were rehearsing for Remember That We Suffered, she's like, this feels like I'm back in off-Broadway. <laughs> I think it was char- it was charming how kind of <laughs> low budget we were. Um, she was she was just like fucking cool and cool and great. I mean, there I don't want her to repeat it without her permission, but let me let's just say she told a story in the hair in the hair and makeup trailer that is really fucking filthy. And it was really funny. It's really funny. And she's just, she's really cool. And, um, and it's funny because my, so my husband co-wrote the episode she was in. Mm -hmm. My husband is, um, you know, basic bitch, straight cis white guy from Long Island who wanted to be Michael Jordan, even though that was never in the cards. Um, That was never going to happen. And so he's, everything he knows about musical theater is, is, through me and he got to be through the show friend friends with patty and i want to say it was when we went to see we went to see her in company on the west end (gasps) yes and my husband had never seen company he'd never Mm -hmm. heard company and this was the gender swap version yes i saw it i saw it as well on the west end with patty one of the best experiences it's it's fantastic and and Mm -hmm. and but it's so funny because she's, you know, she's Patty Lapone. i my whole life i've seen her as a god and but here's my husband and we go backstage to see her and he says something like, hey, Patty, you're really good. 
just because he like almost is very sweetly was like, oh, Patty's like cool, like my cool friend. And then musical theater legends second. And even yeah. she could see that ladies who lunch, you know, she gets a standing ovation after ladies who uh-huh. lunch. But just this, I don't know, this dude being like, hey, Patty, you, you're like, do you know that you're really good? You got a future in this. You're going places, kid. You're going places. <laughs> I, it must have been, I think, incredibly charming to her because everyone else is just like, let me eat you out. And and <laughs> my husband's like, hey, good on you. <laughs> I think those are the compliments that always stick with me the most is when someone who's completely unfamiliar with either me or my work or the world that I work in, um, usually, yes, a cis straight white guy who's just like, <laughs> hey, you know, there's something to this drag thing. You got, you got, uh, you had a pretty good idea there with this drag thing. Um, of course, now my, you know, my Virgo brain is saying like, why did you say that the tech people at that venue called Patty a diva? You're going to make it sound like people are all talking bad about Patty behind her back. So for the context, there's this legend in Provincetown. Okay. Um, it's not that anyone's saying Patty's a big diva or, or a monster or anything. It's just that there's this legend that anytime Patty Lapone gets brought up, someone who works in Provincetown wants to be the one to tell this story. Like, do you know what? I heard that Patty Lapone <laughs> requests a 32-inch stool to be on stage, whereas most stools are standard stool size sizes are like 40 inches or 30 inches. So to get a 32 inch stool, you have to buy a 40 inch stool and then chop off some of the leg um, so that it's 32 inches. And she requests it. It's in her rider and they have to have the stool. And when she gets to sound check, she pulls out a measuring tape and measures the stool to make sure the stool is the right height and then almost never uses the (gasps) stool. And so what, what might sound like a diva um, attitude actually to me sounds like she's making sure they read the writer. Yeah, so that's that- what that. That's what that. If that's true, I, I, I God, I kind of want to text her and be like, <laughs> "Is that is that true?" But I think what's interesting in stories like that you hear about women, mm-hmm. if you heard that about a man, all I think all of our gut reactions wouldn't be diva. It would be like, "What a visionary." <laughs> Absolutely. And that's just part that's baked into our, into our culture. I mean, I read, I read Patty's autobiography. Um, mm-hmm. Of course it's, it's great. And, and some of the, the stories she tells about, you know, the men in theater uh, mm-hmm. in the theater world are, you know, they're in, they're insane. And these, and these stories in general that you hear about these very renowned directors and composers and choreographers being, monstrous yeah well that's just how they are they're a genius Mm -hmm. but uh, but on but the same thing on a woman well she's what a fucking bitch yeah yeah i i honestly i saw it as something to aspire to i saw just measuring the measuring the (laughs) measuring that's a a fucking that's a look it's a baller move the image i have of patty lapone in her like sound check attire you know not fully done up for the show yet coming out with a measuring tape and measuring the stool to me just says well because my biggest pet peeve as a performer is coming to the sound check and things aren't ready yes you know because they always ask for all your materials ahead of time we all we need all this stuff we need your writer we need to know all the tech well in advance to sound check and then you get to sound check and they're still setting up the sound and they and they 
they don't have your track yet. And, you know, nothing uh, it boils my blood more than wasted time at a sound check. And to me, it feels like Patti Lapone said, I'm going to make sure no one wastes my time and I'll know they're wasting my time if they haven't gotten the stool. <laughs> But um, we could talk about Patty LaPone. <laughs> Something for all of us to aspire to. I want to know if that's true now. <laughs> well, don't tell her I said it. Um, <laughs> I, I still haven't met her. I saw her in company. Um, she delivered Ladies Who Lunch seated the entire time and another huge boss goddess move because that song has so much, you know, weight to it. Elaine Stritch originating that song. I know as a drag queen, the whole show for me was um, leading up to Ladies Who Lunch and then everything after that was just denouement. <laughs> abs- abs- absolutely. And to be waiting the whole show for this big showstopper number from Patti Lapone, and she delivered the entire thing from her chair with a coat hanging off her shoulders and she barely even it didn't look like she was singing it looked like she was sitting there having a conversation and it was just amazing absolutely she's an indestructible voice i after i saw her in war paint Mm -hmm. um uh she was drinking like red wine and I was like, wow, you can drink red wine before, you know, on show days before because red wine destroys my voice. If I drink red wine mm-hmm. at night, I was like, doesn't that make you worse? She goes, probably, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think she just legitimately has one of those steel voices. And, and she also has impeccable technique. Yeah, she's a queen. Mm-hmm. I agree. She's a queen. Um, Sorry to have spent so much time in your episode talking about Patty LaPone, but I had to I'm completely (laughs) fine. No, I had stories. I had no stories like that. But, you know, also she was in, she was a guest in a space, which is a Mm. different, which is a, uh, which is a different vibe. Like I'm about to start shooting this TV show um, uh, for which I'm just an actor. I've been writing. I, and it's definitely a different energy and it's thrilling to just be able to walk onto a set, go blah, 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 and not have to go to editing <laughs> afterwards. But it is, you you kind of do defer to the showrunner and the people in charge because mm-hmm. it's their, it's their show. Yeah. That sounds like a true professional, quite honestly. Yeah. You know, knowing, knowing mm-hmm. when to um, go along for the ride and just bring your best self to to the amusement park and ride the ride um, and knowing when to, when to be the boss. Um, I want to know, with so much of your comedy um, being very raunchy and salacious, um, how do you balance that and then also do work on children's television? I have <laughs> Does no, that come with I being have, a mom? I or? have no idea. No, I got asked to work. <laughs> I got asked to do a bunch of to- children's television spots. Blues Clues. Uh, Muppet I, Babies. I, it's, I just, these offers come in. I think because, okay. So I think because the show, my show is a musical. So mm. it's one to one. Oh, she's a singer. Let's get her in to do this guest spot on Muppet Babies or the Trolls TV show. And then I also, the sh- technically we were on a broadcast network. So yes, our show mm-hmm. is raunchy. There was only so raunchy it could be because we had to adhere to the FCC guidelines. Mm-hmm. So technically, you know, uh, I, I've, ta- I've talked to moms who like, I've watched this show with my nine-year-old daughter and you can do that when it's network television because you don't 
the, the harshest word you can use is bitch. And then mm. everything else has to be innuendo. So it's all kind yeah. of plausible deniability. And I grew up watching network television with my parents. And I remembered moments there would be raunchy jokes that I just wouldn't get. And my parents would be laughing kind of scandalously. Mm, and mm, I would be mm. like, what are they laughing? What are they laughing at? And so that was kind of my trick when we were doing Crazy Ex-Girlfriend to whenever there was a dirty joke, I had, I kind of would be like, okay, if I were seven years old, would I be traumatized mm, mm-hmm. or just, <laughs> or just confused? And that was always yeah. the goal of plausible mm. deniability, uh, saying to the lawyers, well, no, this isn't graphic or explicit content because a child wouldn't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had some children in my audiences and I have never written a show that isn't absolutely filthy from start to finish. And I usually, if I, if there's a visible child and I can see the child and the audience can see the child, I'm like, I have to address the child in the room. And what I typically say is, hello, child, you obviously have very responsible (laughs) guardians. I'm going to trust that they're going to put everything into context for you later or that everything goes over your head. Unfortunately, every other adult in this room paid to see the same show. So I'm not going to be cleaning up the show for the child in the room. I'm just going to hope that your, your adults that you're with know what they're doing here. And please don't repeat anything I say. And then, and then, like usually the next thing out of my mouth is like, so my fucking asshole is on fire, you know, like some wh- whatever. Um, I, th- I but- think that's a very, that's a very responsible speech. <laughs> I love that you're saying, I hope they'll explain this to you later. Yeah. It's I mean, great. I remember watching adult things. Uh, my mom didn't really censor what we watched a lot as kids, whether it was because, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it was neglect. Maybe it was having <laughs> having faith in me. Um, but I do remember there would be questions I would ask my mom, and she would almost always tell me, well, that's because in a woman's vagina, there are actually many folds. And I'm like, what? I just wanted to know why that joke's funny. Why are you talking about <laughs> vaginas to me, mom? Um so my mom was actually pretty damn cool in that regard. I watched a lot of things I shouldn't have, but I'm also, you know, I think I, I got a crash course on comedy at an early age because not a lot of it was censored for me. <laughs> my parents did similar things. I mean, I, I, I think you and I are the same age. I, I came of age during the Lewinsky scandal and mm-hmm, I was watching mm-hmm. the tonight show every night with my parents, which is, you know, not known to be particularly raunchy. I think a lot of kids watch the tonight show, but during that time, there were a ton of blow, blow, blowing jokes, right? Uh-huh. I remember there specifically there was this one joke of like, ah, the tourists are hot at Universal Studios right now. So guess who they've gotten to cool them off? And it was like a Monica Lewinsky lookalike going, <sighs> and I and mm-hmm. I turned to my parents and I said, What what does that mean? And that's when I found out what a blowjob was because of uh, Jay Leno. Because they might and might and they said, Well. <laughs> oh, they were, and I remember they, they explained it very technically of, of you know um, when you use your mouth on genitalia, it's called fellatio or cunnilingus, um, but the term for it is a blowjob. And and I <laughs> did it traumatize me, probably, but I but I have to say it was very well 
explain to me and factually explain to me. And my parents explained sex to me very kind of, I would say factually and dispassionately to me from a young age. Mm -hmm. And I always felt very then in charge of my body and, Mm -hmm. and in all, in all, in all respects, like I, I lost my virginity. I feel like only when I was like super ready, uh, because mm-hmm. I knew the implications of it and I, I knew what sex was and everything that meant around it. And I do think a lot of people who aren't raised understanding it, maybe uh, do stuff too early because they don't understand the full implications yeah. of things. I'm also just lucky to not have been uh, sexually assaulted because the statistics <laughs> are troubling. Yeah. Troubling. To say <laughs> that the was least. an amazing delivery on that line. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I had very se- similar experiences, but I feel like my mom also spoke very factually and very dispassionately, warned me that porn is going to depict it very different from how it is in real life. So I knew a lot of the technical aspects of sex, but I actually didn't know what it looked like in practice. Like I knew the word masturbation and I knew that a a man can masturbate his penis Mm -hmm. and then he'll ejaculate so I knew all the words but I didn't know what that actually meant and which led to me masturbating on accident the first time I ever did it I was like I remember masturbating and being like huh this I wonder why no one's talked to me about this before (laughs) and then when I had an orgasm I was like Oh, that's <laughs> masturbating. Oh, that was an orgasm. Oh, I know what this is. Okay, okay. No, there's nothing wrong. Everything's working right. Um, I think a lot so. of people have those stories about doing what feels right and then like uh, thinking, oh, I broke it. Something, something <laughs> is something is broken. I think it's it's harder. I mean, I learned how to I learned how to masturbate from a book. I had a puberty book. That was like hmm, our bodies ourselves. No, it wasn't. It was uh, it was what's <laughs> happening to me, which has these amazing 1970s uh, like illustrations of women with just the biggest bushes. Oh, um, mm-hmm. and it was like to masturbate, girls will stimulate their clitoris, and I was like, oh. Oh, that's what that thing is. Great. I'm going to touch that. And so I just did what the book told me to do. And I had an orgasm within a couple of minutes. And I was like, well, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life instead of anything else ever again. (laughs) And that's what I did. Oh, I just love that. Um, Yeah, I had our bodies ourselves. And I remember... Um, the illustrated drawings of, 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 you know, they were like cartoon drawings. They looked like where's Waldo characters, but they were fully nude. And I was like, I don't know. It's kind of turning me on, but also like, this is just the best I can get at this point in my life. Um, (laughs) I also hadn't seen porn before having sex. The closest I'd seen was the books, the, those 1970s weird illustrations. And then, uh, sneaking HBO's real sex at night when my parents weren't Mm. looking. I, I think my first thing was a TV special called um, uh, The World's Sexiest Commercials. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, like, secretly, like, I had set an alarm so that I woke up at the right time to... I must have been, like, 12 or 13, and I woke up just to watch um, The World's Sexiest Commercials. And I even remember watching it in my underwear to feel like I was like, I'm all ready to watch The World's Sexiest oh Commercials. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> 
I don't even know if I was masturbating at the time. I just remember how excited I was to secretly watch the world's sexiest commercials. And some of them, yeah, they were pretty sexy. I am going to introduce a new segment that I have never done before, um, and it is born out of my my husband Michael's complete admiration and and uh, fan girling over you. So these are um, three questions mm. my husband wanted to ask you, um, and this is a segment called "What My Husband Would Ask You." Um, He's also a musical theater nerd. He's a singer-songwriter, and um, he's British, so there's your context. Right. Uh, first question. You wrote, uh, I'll do it in his right. voice, you wrote countless wonderful songs in countless genres, and uh, this is coming off like Robert Leach. Anyway, you wrote countless wonderful songs in countless genres and styles for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. What was the creative process like? I personally imagine a Brill building, but surrealist and ridiculous. Oh, it kind of was in that it was like a factory. Mm -hmm. um, so there were three songwriters and we all worked depending on the song in, in different ways. So there's me, Jack Dolgen, who also was a, a writer and a later EP on the show. And then Adam Schlesinger, who also, in addition to being a songwriter, was also uh, co-producing all of the songs. And so sometimes it would be all three of us getting together and brainstorming and then Adam would make it a real song. Sometimes it would just be me uh, doing like a rough piano demo. I'm like a, I'm a lyricist with a capital L composer with a small C. Mm -hmm. So like, like I, I, I have an, I have an ear for like hooks and tunes, but I need someone else to, to really make it like a real, real song nine times out of 10. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Adam really uh, would take any sort of, kind of janky voice demo I'd send, or even if it was on piano and I'd be like, I know this needs to be made better. And he would through writing and production, make it a song. Um, so sometimes it would just be Adam. Sometimes it would just be Jack. Um, Jack is also a songwriter. Sometimes he would send a voice demo to Adam or sometimes Jack would actually just write the whole thing on guitar. So it just really, it really de depended. And what's that, what's that uh, phrase? In a, oh God, necessity is the greatest Invention, uh, the thing about invention and you got to do stuff. Otherwise you're going to get fucked. Anyway, basically we, it was like a song needs to get written before next week. Otherwise we'll be fucked. We won't have yeah. a song. We've set up a, a template that we have at least two songs in an episode. And sometimes we'd be like, why would, why did we do that? That was, that's so stupid that we did that. <laughs> no other show has to do this. And so kind of however the song could get written, it would get written. Um, mm -hmm. I remember there's this song called who's the new guy in uh, season two, when we introduced this new character and we'd been trying to figure out, okay, what do we, what do we do? We, we are out of songs for that episode. We, 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 we didn't have any song ideas and we were like, also, we want to introduce this new character. And so I remember on a lunch break, jotting down the lyrics for who's the new guy and then recording a rough demo i think the original melody was like who's the new guy i don't trust him which was not the melody that ended up and basically just sending that to jack and adam and being like what do you guys think so it was it was all these different combinations we would have had a much more set process had we been a show that we wrote and then filmed and then yeah. edited but because it was all happening 
a couple times they'd come to set where I was and we'd write together. It just mm-hmm. depended. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun and amazing experience to have under your belt, but also completely maddening. It was insane. And oh, by the way, necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity is the mother of invention. Um, I had a similar experience with our last holiday tour. Um, we we knew we needed a song. We needed a song in this one part in the show, and we went through like five half-written songs before we finally landed on something. Um, so I landed on a parody of Rasputin, um, the Boney M song, Raw Raw Rasputin, um, but it was about uh, Santa as the ultimate capitalist. Uh, <laughs> Santa is the ultimate capitalist machine. It was called Fa La Santa Claus. Love it. Um, <laughs> But some of the rejects were, here's your one chance, Rudolph, don't let me down. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, A parody of uh, Beyonce's Hold Up about wearing masks. (laughs) Great. There are a lot of rejects. Um, But I love hearing about the process. Um, Michael's next question Mm -hmm. is, any updates on The Nanny musical you're working on with Fran Drescher? Yeah, so uh, it's slowly but surely. Musicals take a long time to write. Um, and so we're, we have a, a good amount of act one written and then are just going into act two and outlining that. And um, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to say this without being a downer, but my my songwriting mm-hmm. partner on that, Adam, uh, died. Uh, so mm-hmm. there was, you know, uh, a holdup in the process uh, of finding a new composer. There's someone on Instagram, uh, and it's in my, like, <laughs> message request, so I, I only see it occasionally, who has been messaging me every day for a year, saying, messaging <laughs> Rachel Bloom until she makes the nanny musical. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just not how... Um, it's, it's not how, that's not how, it's not how it works. (laughs) So the answer is it's in process. Well, I am very sorry to hear that you lost your writing partner. Thank you. Um, But I'll counter that with congrats on working with yet another goddess. Yes. (laughs) They find me. They keep finding me. (laughs) Final question from my husband. Did you ever manage to get a response from Ray Bradbury prior to his passing in 2012? I did. I met him. Oh yeah. yeah. Did you fuck? Yeah. It was, it was uh, (laughs) terrible. Yeah. He was, I think 91 when I mm. met him, but I flew out that song got me like, Oh, I'm going to meet with the managers and agents. But like, bef- I flew out to LA to do those fancy meetings. But before I met any of them, I met Ray Bradbury. Cause that was mm. more important. Uh, and it was awesome. <laughs> um, of course we're talking about your, um, one of your early viral the first, moments. the first um, music video I released in, In the early years of YouTube, before YouTube was, you know, our go-to... Now now I know people who watch TV exclusively on YouTube. They only see three minutes clips of anything. But you were in the early days um, with Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury, uh, approximately 12 years ago, (sighs) with 6.3 million views. (laughs) I mean, and I I rewatched the video right before... um, right before the uh the phone call with you and it just made me very excited doesn't it seem like a million years ago when you could you could relate like the idea of a video going viral 
Now, every mm. day there are tens of, there are thousands of videos going viral. You look at TikTok and there's a video, you know, videos that have millions and millions of views and likes. There's, and there are so many of them. You don't have that video of the moment thing anymore. I got very, I got very lucky. One thing that makes me super old to my friends is um, talking about the days when you had to download the videos from a torrent site before you could just stream them. So like if you wanted to watch this funny viral video, you had to sit there and wait for it to download. And I remember like a certain sense of pride when you were one of the people who had access to that video. I think that's how I first watched Lazy Sunday. <laughs> uh, the lo- uh, Like the first Lonely Island short, yeah. <laughs> do you remember like, do you remember like, um, I remember on my Napster, the songs that I slowly collected. And then when Napster mm-hmm. went under, like all of my songs got erased. Oh yeah. I mean, as a drag queen, um, being able to download music and burn them onto a CD was like, uh, that was the only way to become a drag queen is if you had access <laughs> to CD burning technology. Right. Um, we have talked about so much in this interview, and if people want to hear more, I can um, uh, assume that they are going to get some of what we talked about and so much more in your book, uh, your memoir, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are, which comes out in a paperback edition on April 5th. Want to give us your elevator pitch on... Um, <laughs> Your memoir? It's a series of prose and kind of sketch comedy musings slash essays about my relationship to the idea of normalcy. But but the paperback has a new chapter that's just fan questions about crazy ex-girlfriend, because that's really what people (laughs) want. Like, I I spent so much time being like, how do I explore normalcy in this chapter? And people are like, but what about crazy ex-girlfriend? Can you tell me a fun (laughs) thing that happened on set? And I'm like, but that has nothing to do with the theme. (laughs) But it'll probably be people's favorite chapter. Whatever. Eat it up. Oink, oink. Uh, Give the people what they want, you know. Um, (laughs) Well, um, I've just absolutely enjoyed talking to you today. I hope everyone goes out and finds a copy, a paperback edition of (laughs) I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. Um, I hope to see many, many more um, trends based on your music. I know one what was going around for a while was friends, friends, friends. Uh, friends, friends. It's amazing. Friends. A whole, I talk about like that's the that's video go, going viral now, and you couldn't you yeah. couldn't plan for that. You couldn't plug that. You can't you can't make a song and then say you know what this is going to go viral on TikTok. This is going to yeah. You just can't plan it. It, it these <laughs> things take off on their own, which is joyous in its own way. I have my compulsory questions. Uh, I want to respect your time. We're almost out of time. So don't feel the need to, um, you know, pontificate too much. Let's just go with gut responses. First question, who is your celebrity crush today? Today? Yeah. Um, Because I'm a slut and I have a new one every day. Well, we were just talking about it. So I think Jackie Cox today. Oh, yes. We can both say Jackie Cox. Um, uh, maybe, you know, wouldn't it be my first bisexual threesome? Um, next question. <laughs> Are you spiritual? Uh, no. <laughs> Perfectly fine answer. And final question. What is your go-to karaoke song? Baby Got Back. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rachel. Keep conquering the world. Um, just absolutely a complete joy to talk to you. Um, where can my listeners follow you on the on the socials? Oh, just follow me. I'm on Instagram at Rachel Does Stuff, as well as TikTok. But Instagram is mainly where I'm at. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Rachel Bloom. And thank you all for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. Listen to Hi Jinx ad free and one day early. Sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound designed by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.